0: When it comes to interacting with life, I have found that all of us move toward one of two very polarizing extremes. Our attitude about life really does usually take on one of these two perspectives. Some of us become very naïve. Uh, We use naivety as a coping mechanism, if you will. Some of us uh, get to the place where we look at life through rose-colored glasses and we say life's really not as bad or even not as it actually is. We just kind of look at life in a very idealistic way. We distort reality. I see this all the time in premarital counseling. Couples come in and they just smile and say, we have no problems. I go, okay, buckle up, buttercup, here it comes, right? Right? I hear this all the time, and in fact, I'll say it this way. Let me just share a few statements. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard statements like these from people like you. When we get married, everything from that day forward will be wonderful in our lives. Why are you laughing? That's not been your experience? Usually this is high schoolers, but I hear them say, when I get out of school, everything will be easier for the rest of my life. (laughs) How about this one? If we just have a baby, some of you are already going, our marriage will be stronger and all of our problems will go away. I hear this one from men. They say, if I just get that raise, then we won't have any more financial issues in our lives. I've heard this one numerous times, probably as many, if not more times than all of the others, and it may be the most perplexing. And I promise you, I hear this often. Now that I've become a Christian, my problems are over. I knew I would get some visceral response from that. Y'all didn't even chuckle, you just groaned. Because you know that's not true. When you enter the Christian life, immediately you enter war. You're in a spiritual battle and all of the forces of hell come against you when you become a Christian. So your troubles aren't over. Your sins are forgiven, yes. Your destiny is secured, yes. But this life is tough. Now, so many of us come to this side of being very naive. We just think everything is good. And I've got to tell you, we need people like that in our lives. Some of you go to the other extreme. And that other extreme is cynicism right? So some people are naive and some people are cynical. I I don't know about you, but those people can drive me crazy. They find a cloud in every silver lining. It doesn't matter what good is happening. Drama follows them because they look for the bad. The weatherman says there's a 5% chance of rain today, and they start looking for their umbrella and say, great, the weather forecast says it's going to rain. Are you kidding me? No, 95% the other way, but your attitude in that is, is often cynical. Nobody can bring down a party like a pessimist. Would you agree? I mean, think about it. Lots of people do it. They focus on the worst possible outcome. Everything is bad. Uh, they, they find clouds in every silver lining. We call them negative Nancy or negative Neil or Debbie Downer, but we look at them and we are frustrated by their activity. Now, it is good for us to have some naive people in their lives that have a positive, hope-filled outlook. I mean, there are people in my life, I just want to waller in something and grumble, and they come along and say, oh, it's going to get better. Shut up. I didn't want to hear that. So at the same time, while we need those people in our lives, we also resent those people in our lives. Can I get an amen? But we don't need the cynical type in our lives. When we find the cynical type, they will drag us down. They will push us to forget God and to look at the worst circumstance and begin to see things as hopeless. Enter the book of Ecclesiastes. So today we bring a brand new series to the table, and I've called it Wise Up. And I invite your attention to turning there. If you've got a Bible with you, or perhaps you've got a Bible accessible on your phone or other device, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I'm calling this Wise Up. We've been looking at growing up and the spiritual markers of maturity for the last several weeks in July, and now we're turning our attention to an exposition of this great Old Testament book. As we look at this book, whether you're naive or cynical, what we want to do is consider a biblical perspective on life. If you're a businessman here today, if you're a teacher here today, or you're a housewife, it doesn't matter what profession you find yourself. If you're a student, it does not matter where you are in your life. You need to consider a whole, a holistic perspective, a biblical perspective on the meaning of life. I get people uh, asking those kinds of deep questions all the time. What is the meaning and the purpose of this suffering that I'm going through, this struggle that we have? And so, as we look at this book of Ecclesiastes, hopefully you've turned there. It's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Maybe you can find it kind of right there in the middle. It's in the poetic section of the Old Testament. You'll be reminded that from Genesis to about Nehemiah, it's it's history, it's a historical section. And if you look from Isaiah to Malachi, those are all prophets. But sandwiched right in the middle is this section of philosophical teachings. It's poetic language, and these books are incredibly powerful. I'll just remind you of their purpose. You don't have to necessarily jot all these down, but we looked at Job in Sunday school. Job discovers the problem of evil and begins to address that. And then the Psalms begin to help us understand God and his glory in the midst of a wicked world. And then we move into Proverbs and and we see right and wrong. We see what we should and shouldn't do in the midst of an evil world. And then the Song of Solomon is written, and it's a beautiful expose of love and sex and marriage and how to do it right and how properly uh, that it becomes a gift of God. And then we come to Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes shows us how to live down here under the sun, if you will. That's a phrase we're going to hear over and over again, life under the sun. Everything from our temporary or temporal perspective, not necessarily from heaven. He'll come to that conclusion toward the end, but we begin to see a world, as Tommy Nelson said, that doesn't often behave. Now, I got to say this. A lot of people look at the book of Ecclesiastes and they say, Pastor, this is depressing. This is discouraging. You're not going to find too many verses in Ecclesiastes on your morning coffee mug, right? It's not on a bumper sticker. It's not splattered all over t-shirts and cute little pithy sayings. It's just not there. It is deep. It is dark at times. And there are things that we'll struggle through. A lot of people look at this as hopeless and heartbreaking. I want you to hear something fascinating. Uh, To the Jews of that day, they struggled with two books being actually included in the Bible. They struggled with the book of Song of Solomon because it was so risque. There were so many things that were amorous. And they say, surely God didn't give that, but it's there. And then they look at this book, and you're going to be blown away by this. They say, the book of Ecclesiastes is too happy. Say, what? What? Too happy from a worldly perspective. Six times in 12 chapters, he says, enjoy life. Eat and drink and enjoy. Enjoy your wife, enjoy your life, enjoy your work, enjoy your wealth, enjoy all of those things. And they said, Surely that is not a godly perspective. Well, we're going to unpack that as we walk through. It's fascinating, though, that we would see it as sarcastic and dark and depressing. They would see it as worldly and too happy. But for us today, one of the keys is to understand that the name for God used all throughout this book is the word Elohim. It is the generic word for God. It's not Jehovah or Yahweh. It's not his covenant personal name. So this is not just a book for Jews. This isn't a book that just a Jew would pick up and read. This is a gospel tract in essence. It is a beautiful picture for all of us. It's for the whole world to see written by a man named Solomon who wanted to evangelistically draw people to God. This is really cool. Solomon had authority to speak on the subject. He's asking, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Where do we find substance and hope in the middle of our lives? And if anybody has authority to speak on it, he does. He's got more wisdom than anybody else. He's got more wealth than anybody else. I mean, this dude has got access to life. He's the kind of guy that would eat breakfast in New York and then fly to Europe for dinner. I mean, he's just got all of the opulence and luxury of our modern day pictures of life and wealth and success. Everything's there. And he sought for wisdom in all of those things. But he's not talking about eternal life. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about the great commission or witnessing. He is talking not about the sweet by and by, but the nasty here and now. He's talking about life under the sun. And he almost takes the approach of an atheist. He begins to look at life without God in the the mix, without God in the paradigm. And he describes a world where young men die of cancer. And old men die live to a ripe old age, even if they're wicked. Good people face horrific suffering. A world where you can work hard and still lose everything. A world that can up and bite you. A world where you can do everything right and you still get kicked in the teeth. It's that kind of world. He even talks in chapter 3, and a bit we'll get to it. He talks about the grievous task that God has given to the sons of Adam. Basically, he says, this is the lot that God has laid down for man. Everybody's going to die. He goes on, he says, a life where everybody will ultimately lose everything. Everything. Naked I come into this world and naked I will depart. A life where we'll be forgotten and grass will grow up over our tombstone. Welcome to Hardy Street Baptist Church. Let's just pray and go home. Isn't that cheery? How depressing. What a struggle it is as we do the exposition of this book. You go, gracious sakes, what in the world is God doing? But you need to hear this. Without a Bible, there are no answers to the questions of life. Let me say that again. I mean, this is as simplistic as I can be. Without a Bible, there is no answer to all of the woes and the heartaches and the hangups and the questions of life. You will search for infinity. You will search forever, as Solomon did, and you'll never find true satisfaction under the sun. You need to hear it this way. Johnny Christian doesn't always score a touchdown every time. You need to hear this. The pagan does not always fumble the ball. There are times that they seem to flourish and do well, and we struggle through this idea of how mixed up life can be, and so how do we live in a fallen, mixed up, broken world that doesn't always cooperate? Hopefully I've wet your appetite and got your attention. I've entitled our first message, The Dark Side of Wisdom. Look with me, if you will, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the words of the preacher King David's son who ruled. In Jerusalem. Now, the word here for preacher is Koheleth, and that is actually the name of the book in Hebrew. If you were to have a Hebrew Bible, it's not Ecclesiastes. That just means gathered things, but the word Koheleth is teacher or preacher, one who gathers knowledge, and so it's just named after him. And this teacher is Solomon, none other than the wisest man on earth, the man who built the temple, the man who was David's son, and he says so right there. Now, it is, it is true for us that if this book is true for Solomon that if he can't find meaning in life none of us can that nobody can he had again had all the wealth he had access to worldly pleasures and it was all empty he came to the end and said it's meaningless it's hopeless it's vanity it is absolutely dust in the wind it's smoke it's like the the vapor that comes off of your morning coffee it's here and then it's gone Francis Schaeffer said this. I want you to read it with me. We'll put it on the screen. Read it with me out loud. God projected Solomon in a philosophic time machine into the future and then sent him back to us to say there's nothing out there. Again, welcome to Hardy Street Baptist Church. Let's just pray and go home and grovel in misery. Francis Schaeffer said God allowed Solomon to look into the future all the way to the end, wine, women, song, work, pleasure, intellect, knowledge, food, opulence, all of those things. He said, I looked in all of those things and every single one of them turned out empty. None of them brought lasting satisfaction. None of them brought happiness. None of them brought hope. None of them filled my heart. It, It was a struggle. In fact, he ultimately will come to the place of saying, you must trust God. The only hope is not to look under the sun, but to look over it, to look above it, to look to the sun, S-O-N. And for you and for me, we need to begin to see this in a very pointed way. Now, verse two, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. It's translated in other ways, vanity of vanities, right? Right? This idea that everything is futile. Now, it doesn't mean that life is not with, that life has no meaning. It means that the meaning of life is not always clear. I, I love this Hebraism. I want you to think about it with me. When words are combined, when they're doubled up in Hebrew, it's usually for significance or importance. What is the Holy of Holies? Well, that's the holiest place there is. So what is the vanity of vanities? It says the sum total of life is all meaningless. It's a struggle. He goes on to say, what profit is there? Look with me, if you will, to the text what ultimately, uh, what do people get from all of their hard work under the sun? Your your translation may say, what advantage or what profit? It's ultimately that picture that we hear. We say, I've never seen, you know, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Well, you may have seen one by now. There's memes on the internet that says, ah, there it is. But they left all of that stuff right there at the graveyard. You cannot take it with you. And when you will live and you will die and all of your stuff will end up in a garage sale or an estate sale or your kids will, fight over it one or the other but all the work and the toil of our lives what profit or advantage is there is what he says here let me ask you very quickly just very simply how many of you know much about your grandparents you know their first names raise your hands I'm not going to call on you and embarrass you how many of you know your grandparents first names okay how much do you know about your grandparents grandparents anybody There are a few of you that have probably done a little genealogical work and you know a little bit about that. How much do you know about your grandparents' grandparents' grandparents? Not too many of us. And what you know you've learned on paper or through Google searches or through Ancestry.com or something like that. What I'm saying is there are people that lived three and four generations ago, and you don't know anything about them. They were important to your life. If they had not met and fallen in love and married and gotten together, you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Now, let me ask you this. This is going to be quick. Y'all watch each other. This is kind of funny to see. How many of you have grandchildren? Man, hands go up everywhere really quick. Y'all are not scared. Do not pull out your phone. We don't want to see their pictures right now, okay? You can save that for later. This is going to be sobering. When your grandchildren have grandchildren, you will be the forgotten human being. Let that wash over you. Some of you have lived incredibly productive lives. You've got multiple degrees or you've started businesses or you have invented things or you've written things down and you've made an impact on people around you. But do you realize that in three or four generations, everything that you do will be nothing much more than this, that if you take your hand and put it in a bucket of water and pull it out, the hole that is left is the impact and the legacy that you leave apart from Christ. Christ. We can leave a legacy, and we have been, and we'll continue to talk about that, but this book is very depressing in that. Think about these words of Mark Twain. He said that the world will lament you for an hour and forget you forever. Look at verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, and then it hurries round to rise again. Jimmy, I thought about getting you behind the drum set this morning to make me a machine sound. Think about this: boom, You think about some machine that's making something. I always think about those taffy wrappers in Pigeon Forge. Just sit there for—I I, just from the time I was a kid, I could watch it feed the paper and wrap the taffy and twist the taffy. Boom, Well, the, the Earth is a machine. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries to go back again and over and over again. He says, over, it just keeps doing it. And generations come and generations go, and people are born and people die, and grass grows over their tombstones. And the reality is that we will be forgotten. What age do you start decline? Anybody know physically? 27. At 27, you start losing more cells than you create. Again, welcome to Hardy Street Baptist Church. Have a wonderful afternoon. I've got socks that are 27 years old, and I begin to think, oh my word, we're at a place where I'm on the backside of that hill. I mean, I'm just in a place where I'm I'm considering, I don't think I'm gonna buy any more green bananas when I read Ecclesiastes. I'll say, I just don't have any time left. It's over for me, right? And as we look at this, we struggle through it to think how cynical and how painful that the word of God would say that, but it's headed somewhere. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun sets, and then it hurries to rise again. As we read, a circular machine that just keeps going. Look at verse 6, the wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, and the sea is never full. Why? Evaporation. And then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. And the machine keeps on running. Yesterday marked the 15th anniversary of my dad's death. His casket was right here 15 years ago. We walked down that aisle and we followed him out and he was placed in a hearse and we went out through Hattiesburg down 4th Street and out to Oral Cemetery out off 589. And I watched people weed eating that day. I mean, it's middle of June, July, excuse me, end of July, And I was like, you need to stop that. How many of you still pull over when a funeral procession goes by? How long do we pull over? 30 seconds? A minute if it's long? And forgotten. You ever thought about that? I mean, I wanted to say, this was an incredibly great man. You should stop and honor his life. And they going about life you should stop life for that and, and the reality here is that people are not going to call off life and recognize that he lived and they won't call off life and recognize that you lived verse 8 everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. I want you to hear this. Nature doesn't bring you to this crescendo moment where you go, aha, here under the sun, there's the answer. Man just keeps working and toiling and striving and trying to earn and to to win and to grow. But he doesn't stop looking. He looks in so many areas, it's wearisome. Somebody said it this way, we are moles underground looking for constellations. Let that picture stand. We are moles underground. We don't even have the capacity to see what's above the sun. And we're trying to figure it out on our own. There are lost people all around us that are trying to find community at the end of a bottle or in a relationship. They're trying to find community in their net worth or their 401k. They're trying to find satisfaction and trying to find some sense of fulfillment in life. Like they're keeping score and the bottom line is at the end it all goes back in the box and the game is over. For the fourth time, I say, welcome to Hardy Street Baptist Church. How depressing. As we move forward, we keep looking, we keep listening. And and I could kind of nerd out and run off on the, the rails here. Where do people look for satisfaction and for meaning? You ever seen the picture of those giant satellite ears out in the deserts of the Southwest? We're looking for UFOs. People look for UFOs because they think maybe there's something out there. Maybe there's life beyond this life. Maybe there's some expression of meaning, and they can tell us who we are. They can tell us why we're here. Can I just tell you, I've seen the movies, and every single time, they eat us. They land, and they eat us. They're not going to tell us, so stop looking there. Yeah, Everybody wants a UFO, but we want a Baptist UFO, right? We want one that'll be friendly and nice and come down and be like us. We don't want the one that'll take over. Timothy Leary in the 60s. You think about all of the experiment of drugs that happened in the 60s and 70s. That wasn't for pleasure. They were trying to reach states of an altered consciousness so that maybe we can achieve some higher plane. We're looking for some place to find meaning and purpose We all want to answer four questions. Let me put them up on the screen for you. Origin, identity, purpose, and destiny. I've used these before with you. Everybody wants to ask these questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Who are we and where are we going? And here's the cool part. If you are a Jew with a Bible in this day, you have no trouble with this. In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God, what? created in the beginning God created what the heavens and the earth it starts to answer all of these you begin to see time and space and matter and origin and beginning and purpose and meaning and 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 all of that fits together in a construct of God and what I'm telling you church family what I'm telling you live stream all of you that are watching or hearing this is that we have two ways to live we can live as people of the eye or people of the ear, as people who try to make up meaning from what we see are people that listen to the word of God. And when we listen to the word of God, faith comes by hearing. And when we trust him, and the book of Ecclesiastes will ultimately lead us there, but here's the matter. You gotta get a man lost before you can get him saved. Getting a man saved is fairly relatively easy i mean jesus did all of the heavy lifting it's done everything for salvation was accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection but to get a man lost takes a work of the holy spirit because you got to be broken down to the place where you say i'm not going to keep looking and what the writer here says is you'll just keep looking and the sun will rise and the sun will set and you'll go back to the factory and make more widgets and you will die and when you die you'll be forgotten Unless another variable is added into the equation. Unless God is factored in. Unless the fact that there's more to this life than this life and you're not just looking at everything under the sun. If you're under the sun and don't have a Bible, you're in a lurch. Adam opened his eyes and saw God and knew immediately who he was and why he was there. He was made in the image of his creator. Let's continue in our text. History repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but it's actually old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. See, we recycle thoughts and the wise, and we're looking for hope. Why do we continue to look for all of these things? We're looking for hope. I want to tell you this. You read your Bible looking for hope. You read your Bible today, and I just believe this with all of my heart. You read it sooner or later, hoping that there's a place that says, and there were shepherds abiding in the fields, watching over their sheep by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared and spoke to them, and they were deathly afraid, and the angel said, fear not. Not for I bring to you good news of great tidings that will be a blessing to all people. Unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. And we long for something that would come. You see, if we could get all of the answers to life in education, God would have sent us a teacher. If all of the problems of our lives were wrapped up in finances, he would have sent us an economist. But the need of our lives was salvation. So what did he send? A savior. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is the missing variable in everything that's under the sun. And he entered our world so that you and I could find the true meaning of life. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about studying this book. It's one of my favorite books because it recalibrates my uh, my gratitude. I begin to look and say, there are beautiful things in the world. We'll see those in later uh, chapters. But as you think about this, Nothing new, nothing novel, no no LSD or mind-altering drugs, no experience, no wealth, no pleasure under the sun will get you in touch with truth. So let's move quickly into our outline. I just want you to see this very quickly. Let's talk for a moment about the rules of wisdom. We think of it this way. If you do good, you'll be rewarded. Proverbs speaks that way. Proverbs says, in general, if you'll do the right thing, good things will happen. Those are not promises, they are possibilities and probabilities. In fact, it's important for us to hear that. I've used this illustration with you before. Just because you raise godly children in a godly, envir- or children in a godly environment doesn't guarantee they'll be godly, does it? Anybody ever seen a rebellious teenager? Anybody ever been a rebellious teenager? Okay, I'm just checking. And if you were claiming that as a promise from God, Proverbs 22, 6 would be a lie. You'd say, wait a minute. The Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Well, they departed. God, I want my money back. It's not a promise. It's a probability. He's saying if you'll bend their lives that way, the probability is they'll go that way. Solomon wrote, you need to hear this. Solomon wrote the song of Solomon as a young man. And somewhere in his middle years, he writes Proverbs and he begins to talk about the nature of right and wrong. And as he comes to the end of his life and he's failed miserably, he's chased after wine and women and song. He's brought on to himself 700 wives and 300 concubines. He has gone after other gods and allowed them to infiltrate his thinking. And when he did, he comes to the end and now he's the preacher that writes the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a pretty powerful progression. You see him writing about love and marriage and sex early on, and then you see him writing about doing right and wrong. And as we move forward, he said, if you'll do good, you'll be rewarded. Obviously, there's another side to this. If you do evil, you'll face consequences. And we think that way as well. If I do wrong, I ought to get it. The problem is, you know people that are absolutely wicked, and they're rewarded from a worldly standpoint all the time. But guess what? At the end of the game, everything goes back in the box and they reset to zero as well. And those who have done right are rewarded eternally. And those that have lived for this life have already gotten their reward. Does that make sense, yes or no? As we consider that pull, that tug, that interplay, we begin to see that promises and principles and probabilities lead to possibilities. It is possible you'll do everything right and still get COVID. It's possible that you'll do everything right and a drunk driver crosses the center line and hits you. It is possible that you live your life right and you end up at St. Jude with a toddler who's got leukemia because this world is broken and everything under the sun is vanity. It's a struggle to make meaning of unless we we add God to the equation. Verse 17, So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. Maybe you're there. Pastor, what's the point of following God? If I may follow God and things still may fall apart. Oh, recognize a grander perspective you got to make the long play. you got to make the long play that says it's about eternity. It's not about here and now. Life under the sun is despairing. There is no fountain of youth. There is no pot of gold. There is not going to be a UFO. And if we find one, they're going to eat you. There is no drug. There is no pleasure. There is no job. There is no person that will bring you fulfillment. I can promise you that, not because of my own testimony of trial and error. I've tried many of the things of the world and they failed me and left me empty. But Solomon tried them all. And he said, it's like chasing the wind. Can I tell you this? single people in the room there's no person that will bring you fulfillment you're going to meet and perhaps marry another broken individual married people can i tell you this if you ditch the one that you've got and look for another one you're still going to be disappointed why because you're going to find another broken person that and they will not fulfill your soul There's no school that you'll attend, no class that you will take that will enlighten you to hope. Man will not learn from history. We read it from our text, and the bottom line is man is doomed under the sun, hoping for what he cannot find. It's fascinating to me. If we were to spend just a little more time to think about the pursuits of Solomon, we'll talk about this next week. He looked in three primary areas, intellect, hedonism, and materialism. He said, if I can learn everything there is to know, and he got to the end and said, failure. If I can party and experience as much pleasure as possible, and he got to the end, empty. If I can accumulate all that I possibly can, worthless. But from the intellectual side, I want you to think about this. It's amazing to me that universities will teach people biology and chemistry and uh, genetics and geometry and music and the arts and all manner of philosophy and all of those things the Bible says will not bring hope and satisfaction. And the very one thing that can bring satisfaction, most of our universities would say, that's forbidden to teach. Hello? Tell me there's not a devil. Jesus Christ is the answer for this world. Jesus Christ is the answer for your life, for your home, for your family. And fathers, I want to encourage you, raise your children to know the Lord. Don't raise them to pursue the things that are under the sun. Oh, you can encourage them. They need to learn all they can. They need to have good work ethic and work hard, but they need to enjoy the life under the sun, under the sovereign hand of God. And that leads us to the final thing I want to share with you today, the ultimate reality the mystery of the ultimate reality see man doesn't want to look up we want to spurn the one place where we can actually find hope without God life is hopeless it's flawed nations are flawed you ever thought about that we're smart enough to send a man to the moon or to split an atom but we can't solve the issue of murder right we can send a man to the moon and we can do all manner of scientific things, but we can't do anything about divorce or abortion or human trafficking. Why? We're flawed. We're flawed at the core. We're selfish and the answers cannot be found under the sun. I'll kind of wrap it up with this. How many of you know the name Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson was a special advisor to the president. And If you remember the Watergate issue, if you've ever studied that, students, you need to go back and look at it. He said, I was one of six men on the planet who had open, unfettered access to the Oval Office. I could walk in and out anytime I wanted to. He was one of Nixon's special advisors. And when all of Watergate went down, he went to prison. And when he got to prison, he met Jesus. If you've never read any of his works, I'll encourage you to do so. He wrote a book called Born Again. He wrote a book called Twice Pardoned. He wrote another one called How Now Shall We Live? He now is in heaven. He's understanding and experiencing everything above the sun. He didn't just have one of these Hollywood transformations where he gave God a nod. He got saved. I'm talking about radically transformed his life. And he said these words, I heard him speak, and it was so powerful. He said, in all of my days of governance and politics and in power, he said, I never did a thing to actually leave lasting change in a person's life. And he said, but while I was still in prison." My testimony was written and put into a magazine, and he said, I got letters from servicemen who got saved because they read the story of what God had done in my life. Only God can transform a life forever. Chuck Colson's a beautiful picture of that. So are many of you but I just have to believe there are people in our midst right here in Hattiesburg that have never trusted Jesus Christ. There are people in this room that do not have a real relationship. And sir, I understand you're working hard to provide for your family. But you need to know that all of that money could be gone tomorrow. And one day it will all be gone and left to somebody else. Again, the single most depressing thought for many of us is that our kids and our grandkids are either going to fight over our stuff or fight over who's got to haul it off to the dump or sell it. It's true. And we work a lifetime to build and consume for what? Well, the preacher, the Koheleth, is going to tell us in coming chapters how to enjoy it. But for now, let me just move ahead and say to you what Francis Schaeffer said. Solomon was transported to the end and brought back to tell us the only hope is Jesus. God is the only source of hope for you and for me, and we need to trust him we need to recognize that he's given us good and perfect gifts, that he loves us, that he loves us with a a pursuing love, that he's come after you. The fact that you're here today, either by live stream at home or wherever you may be, or right here in the room, the fact that you're here says that God has worked in your heart at some level. Maybe a parent dragged you here. I don't know why you're here. Maybe somebody guilted you into being here. Maybe you just hopelessly stumbled into this place. There's hope. You can trust Jesus. I'm going to invite our instrumentalists to come. We're going to sing a song of dedication, a song of decision. We do this almost every week here at our church, and it's very simple. If you need to make any kind of spiritual decision, maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you want to unite your membership here. Perhaps you just need to pray with somebody. We have encouragers that will be right down here at the front, and they would love to pray with you and process any decision that you might have. They'd love to just help you and encourage you. And so uh, while we're singing, if you'll step out from where you are and come, I'll introduce you to them. You can come to me, and we'll connect with one of them. But as we stand now, I'm going to pray. As we stand now, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we're going to start singing. And just so there's no surprises, that is your opportunity to move. When we begin singing, people will let you out, just slide out to the end of the aisle and you come forward. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put you on the spot. Jesus doesn't want to harm you. He wants to help you. He doesn't want to ruin you in some way. He wants to redeem you. And today you can experience life change and transformation. Maybe you feel like you're on a treadmill. That's what we've heard in these words. Life is just a treadmill you can get off that treadmill and be on a trajectory for eternal life only through Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then you come. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the hope that is ours in and through Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to recognize that you're calling us to yourself in Jesus' name. Let everyone here uh, follow your bidding and God have your way. Amen.